to Criminal Curiosity, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Jade, and I hope you're doing well. If not, I hope listening to this podcast helps your mood in some way. In the last episode, we talked about the murder of Heli Crafts, and today's episode, we will be talking about the medical doctor and serial killer, Thomas Neal Cream. I chose this case because I've never heard of this man before, and it's in a different time period, and I think it's interesting, and I want to cover more cases like this. So, let's get started. Thomas Neal Cream was born on May 27, 1850, in Glasgow, Scotland. In 1854, when Thomas was four years old, the family moved to Quebec, Canada where his father was a manager for a lumber firm in Wolves Cove. Thomas is the oldest of eight siblings, and he followed in his father's footsteps of shipbuilding and just helping his father out with his business. But it wasn't something that Thomas really enjoyed doing at all. He was not passionate about what his father was doing. There isn't anything about his childhood that I could find, but he was a very smart student and excelled in school. In October 1872, when Thomas was 22 years old, he started McGill University in Montreal, where he studied medicine to become a doctor. While at university, there was a fire in his dorm, and police suspected that he started the fire. But He got $350 in life insurance, which in today's time is $8,972, so almost $9,000. Around the university, he was known for having a lot of money because of his father. He would dress fancy, wear these fancy watches, and would ride around in a carriage. And when when I was typing in stylish carriage into Google just to get an idea. It showed me kind of like the ones from Cinderella. So now you have an idea of the time period and the stylish carriage. On March 31st, 1876, Thomas graduated from McGill University with a medical degree, and he did his thesis topic on chloroform. And I mentioned this because Chloroform knocks people out, right? Which, yes, it does. I looked on Google and it said that it takes less than five minutes to knock someone out and sometimes results in death. Now, I'm not a medical student, but I did look into other thesis topics that medical students have chosen to write about just to get a general idea. And some examples are Alzheimer's disease, chronic disease, brain injuries, AIDS, HIV, pretty much anything medically related. And I would think that if someone wrote their thesis paper on chloroform, it would stick out to me because I know how chloroform works 
not from personal experience, but I'd be like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Also, something I found was that in his graduating class, they gave themselves a title called, quote, the evils of malpractice in the medical profession, end quote. You can do whatever you want with that information. Because I think that that design, that is, I don't know. After graduating college in 1876, he met a young woman named Flora Eliza Brooks. He got her pregnant and her father held Thomas at gunpoint and forced him to marry his daughter because he got her pregnant. Now, Thomas took it upon himself to perform an abortion on Flora. Thomas decided to move to England, leaving Flora in Canada, so he could continue his medical studies at St. Thomas Hospital in London. In 1877, Flora contracted bronchitis and died from consumption, which today is known as tuberculosis. Flora's doctor suspected that Thomas sent her some quote-unquote medicine, and she got sick from that. Though the doctor could never really pinpoint or have any actual evidence that Thomas had something to do with her death, the doctor did suspect Thomas of foul play. In 1879, Thomas starts seeing a woman by the name of Kate Gardner. She becomes pregnant and is then found dead in an alleyway behind Thomas Cream's office. She was poisoned with chloroform. Police questioned Thomas and he told them that a businessman had gotten her pregnant and she had come to his office multiple times because she wanted an abortion. After he refused to perform an abortion on her, she said that she would hurt herself. To avoid any suspicions from anyone, Thomas Cream relocated to the United States and settled in Chicago. When he moves to Chicago, he opens up his first medical practice close to the red light district. Now, if you're like me and didn't really know what the red light district is, it's where there's a lot of prostitution, sex shops, strip clubs, that sort of thing. And since Thomas had his medical practice so near to the red light district, he would perform abortions for prostitutes. In August 1880, Mary Ann Faulkner was a woman in which Thomas operated on. She dies. Police are suspicious of Thomas, but he gets away with it because the prosecution lacks evidence. In December 1880, Ellen Stack dies after taking medicine prescribed by Thomas, but instead of medicine to help her get better, it was strychnine that killed her. Thomas was never charged with anything, even though he blackmailed the pharmacy into saying that they were the ones that prescribed those pills to Ellen Stack. On July 14, 1881, a man named Daniel Stout died of strychnine poisoning in Boone County, Illinois. Daniel Stout usually sent his wife, Julia Stout, to pick up his medicine from Thomas Cream, because his medicine was used as a remedy to treat epilepsy. As Julia Stout visited Thomas Moore to collect her husband's medicine, they began an affair. 
Thomas would convince Julia to make sure that her husband has life insurance. On July 14th, Thomas gave Julia the pills full of strychnine, and when Daniel took the pills, within a half an hour, he was dead. After Daniel Stout's funeral, the local medical examiner received a telegram saying that there should be an autopsy done on Daniel Stout. A couple of days later, another medical examiner received another telegram, requesting the same thing be done. Another message was sent to the medical examiner's office, saying that the medicine was tampered with, and when they got in contact with the person sending these messages, it was Dr. Thomas Cream. Thomas Cream sent over the medicine to the medical examiner, and they tested it on the dog. And when they did, the dog died, and the medical examiner exhumed Daniel Stout's body. After examining the body, they found that Daniel Stout had enough strychnine in his body to kill six men. Thomas Cream told them that the pharmacy was the one that was responsible for his death. But authorities arrested both Dr. Thomas Cream and Julia Stout. Julia Stout turned state's evidence, which is where you admit what you did and testify so you have a lesser sentence. And she did that. She testified against Thomas Cream and he was facing a murder charge. He was found guilty of second-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. In 1891, he was released after serving 10 years at the Joliet prison. Thomas Cream's brother pleaded leniency in court and bribed politicians and authorities. In 1887, Thomas Cream's father passed away and left an inheritance, and with that money, Thomas moved to Liverpool, England on October 1st, 1891. In England, he moved to Lambeth, which is a very poor area that was heavy with petty crime and prostitution. At this time, Thomas is now 41 years old, he is bald, and recently noticed eye problems, and after seeing an eye doctor, he was prescribed with thick spectacles. On October 13, 1891, 19-year-old Ellen Donworth worked as a capper at a bottle factory, and she hated working there. She left that job and turned to prostitution. Ellen had a charwoman, and a charwoman is someone who just cleans your house, so basically a maid, just a different term. Ellen tells the maid that she is going out for drinks with a man she met earlier. That man was Thomas Neal Cream. One of Ellen's friends that saw them together described the man as well-dressed and wearing a topper. They were walking arm-in-arm together down the street. Another one of Ellen's friends said that she was drunk. She was standing against a fence by herself and could barely stand up. He went up to her and asked if she needed help, and he walked her all the way back to her house. Once they made it back home, Ellen was convulsing and grabbing her stomach and chest, saying that she was in excruciating pain. At one point, Ellen said, quote, that gentleman with whiskers and a top hat gave me a drink twice of a bottle with white stuff in it, end quote. Her friend went to the local medical office and got a nurse. The nurse had realized that she was poisoned and called the police. 
They took Ellen to the hospital where she died in the carriage on the way. Two days later, the autopsy report was done and they found that Ellen had lethal doses of strychnine in her stomach. The medical examiner, Thomas Herbert, said that her last few hours alive must have been agonizing. On October 20th, 1891, 27-year-old Matilda Clover, a mother to her two-year-old son, became a prostitute after the father of her child left and she had to make ends meet. She was also an alcoholic and was seeing a doctor to get help. Lucy Rose was a servant at the house and said that on October 20th at 9 p.m., Matilda Clover came home with a man, but there was barely any light so she could barely see his face. Matilda went to get something, leaving the man, and when she came back, the man was gone. At approximately 3 a.m., everyone in the house heard Matilda screaming. They found her on the bed, naked, where she was having convulsions, choking, and vomiting. She was able to get little words out of her mouth through the pain, and she said that the man that was with her had given her some pills. They called the doctor, but there was only so much that they could do before Matilda Clover died. Matilda's death wasn't initially ruled as a murder. Her doctor came out and said that she mixed an excessive amount of liquor, most likely brandy, with a sedative that he prescribed. In November 1891, Thomas met a woman by the name of Laura Sabatini. He lost contact with her for a while when he went back to Canada. And then in April 1892, he came back to London he proposed to her, and she accepted. On April 2nd, 1892, he meets a woman by the name of Lou Harvey. She was a prostitute, but her real name was Louise Harvey. They went out to eat at a fancy restaurant, had sex, and she told him that they would meet up again. When they met up again, Thomas gave her two pills because her cheeks lacked color, and the pill would add some color back into her cheeks. Now, let's talk about this, because why would anyone just be carrying pills around? And then, like, if they see you, they're like, wow, your eyes are yellow. Take these pills that so miraculously make them white. Like, why would I be carrying around Jondon's curing pills, a.k.a. poison, And why do I think that no one will find that suspicious, whether their eyes are yellow or not? And if your eyes are yellow or not, don't take anything from a stranger. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Lou Harvey pretended to take the pills because she was suspicious of the cheek coloring pills. And when Thomas Cream looked away, she spits the pills out into River Thames, which is a popular river there. Fun fact, it is the longest river in England and the second longest in the United Kingdom. I just thought I had to tell you that. Thomas told Lou that he had to get back to the hospital and he gave her some money. He realized that something was different compared to the other ladies and left in a rush. On April 11th, 1892, Thomas meets two women. 21-year-old Alice Marsh, and 18-year-old Emma Shrivel. 
the two women were prostitutes. All three of them went to the girls' flat, and they promised Thomas that they would drink with him and offer more if he wanted to. He offered them pills and said that they were to treat and prevent venereal disease since they are at a higher risk since they're prostitutes. And venereal disease is, according to a medical website, it is a disease that is contracted and transmitted through sexual contact. So an STD, just a different name. Remember, we're in the 1800s at this point. They ended up doing some sexual favors, and Thomas took out two bottles of Guinness and left shortly after. The landlord woke up at around 2 a.m. after hearing loud groaning, screaming, and banging noises. She went to see what was happening and saw Alice Marsh on the floor having a convulsion. She was struggling to breathe, and the same thing was happening to Emma Shrivel as well. Authorities got involved, and Alice told them that they had drinks with a cross-eyed man who gave them pills to take. The ambulance was on its way, but both women died in the ambulance. An autopsy report was done, and it showed that both women had high levels of strychnine. Scotland Yard, the headquarters for the Metropolitan Police, believed that they were dealing with a serial poisoner. On May 5th, the deputy coroner received a letter from William Murray saying that a Dr. Walter that worked at the St. Thomas Hospital was the one who poisoned the two prostitutes. Dr. Walter received a letter saying his son was the one responsible for the murders, and when he got the letter, he took it to the police. The police looked at about five letters from the very first murder and noticed that they all had the same handwriting. Thomas Cream met a detective from New York, and now Thomas went by the name of Neil, meaning his middle name. At the time that the poisonings took place, the detective, of course, was curious about the whole thing and noticed that Thomas knew a little too much for someone that isn't a detective. They talked more about the murders over dinner, and the detective told Thomas how surprised he is that he remembers the names of the victims and specific details only the killer would know about. After dinner, the two men went for a walk and stopped at a residence. According to the detective, he said that Thomas said that Matilda Clover, quote, was an imbecile for letting a man she didn't know into her house, but then again, women of her dirty, cheap class do not live by brain power, do they? End quote. Thomas then took the detective to where he was with Lou Harvey. He told the story as if he was a witness or talking in third person, about a man giving her a pill because she looked pale and she took it. The next morning, Detective Hayes went to another detective that was his close friend and told him about a man named Neil who knew all the places, time, the name of the women, and ways that the poisoning took place. At first, Detective Hayes thought Neil was bragging about knowing so much about the murders. Kind of how, like, when you know so much about a serial killer, you're like, let me tell you everything from start to finish. You're kind of like, how do you know so much about a killer? Like, are you a killer? That kind of thing. 
But after a while, the more Neil spoke, the more details about the murders only the killer would know. And Detective Hayes thought, yeah, this has to be the killer. Detective Hayes gave his address to another detective. Scotland Yard detectives put Thomas Cream under surveillance and saw that he was still out and about visiting prostitutes. They looked at his passport and saw that the person that went by the name Neil was Thomas Neil Cream. They looked into the suspicious death of Matilda Clover and ordered an exhumation on Matilda Clover's body. Scotland Yard sent one of their best investigators to North America to look into Thomas Cream's history. On May 6, 1892, Matilda Clover's body was exhumed from a pauper's grave, and they took out 14 coffins until they were able to find Matilda's coffin. Now, a pauper burial or grave, or in America it's called Potter's Field, is a place where they bury people that are never identified. No one claims the body, or it's like a mass burial. Now, some time ago, I watched a video on this same topic. It was about Hart Island, New York, which is one of the largest cemeteries with at least 800,000 burials. During the pandemic, they used Hart Island for burials because the morgues were running out of space and there was some backlash about it, but the mayor... Bill de Blasio came out and said they only bury people that have been unclaimed or people that choose to be buried there. In 2020, there were more than 2,300 burials from COVID-19. And you can watch videos on it on YouTube. It's depressing and it's sad, of course, but if you're like me and just always wanted to know like what happens like homeless people when they have when they die and they don't have someone to claim them or when a pandemic happens kind of like what we're going through like where do all the people go that are unclaimed not everyone has someone that will claim them It's definitely sad, but I thought it was important to the story because Matilda Clover had no one to claim her, so it was kind of like a mass burial. And they have... It's really interesting. Look it up. But I'll try to describe it, where they have... They just dig up the dirt from the ground, and then they just place coffins on top of one another. It's really... It's sad, but... Again, like I mentioned, it's pretty important, and I think it's just really interesting to learn about. After they exhumed Matilda's body and performed an autopsy, it showed that there was some residue of strychnine poisoning. After the investigator went and did some digging on Thomas in North America, he found out that Thomas was looked at as suspicious when his wife died mysteriously and he was the one to send her some pills. And some thought that Thomas was responsible for the deaths of the prostitutes in Chicago. British authorities got samples of Thomas's handwriting and compared it to the letters that they had received 
from pharmacies that they were being blackmailed. And on June 13, 1892, Thomas was arrested for suspicion of blackmail and was charged with extortion. All Thomas did was say that he was innocent, but they wanted to keep Thomas in jail for longer. So they looked at all the ways that they could, and Detective Hayes testified about the details that Thomas Cream gave him about the murders. There were witnesses that came forward and said they saw a man fitting Thomas's description with Matilda the night she died. A chemist had a bill of sale for strychnine, which was signed by Thomas. Another witness said that she spoke with Thomas and he told her that he had evidence against a parliament member who was responsible for the poisoning. The next witness was Lou Harvey. She identified that Thomas was the man that gave her two pills and suggested that she take them. On July 13, 1892, Thomas was charged with Matilda Clover's murder, along with Ellen Donworth's, Alice Marsh, and Emma Shrivel. He was also charged with the attempted murder of Lou Harvey. The trial started on October 17, 1892, and they did the same thing. The reason that he was being charged with murder. The two sides explained their case, and the defense had no witness to help their client. The jury deliberated for 12 minutes, yes, 12 minutes, and came back with a verdict of guilty. The judge presiding over the trial sentenced Thomas Cream to death by hanging. The judge said, quote, Your willingness to murder was so diabolical in its character, fraught with so much cold-blooded cruelty that it can only be expiated by your own death. End quote. On November 15th, public hangings were outlawed in England since 1868, so his execution took place at the Newgate Prison and was performed by James Bellington, who was an executioner. The same day, he was buried in an unmarked grave in the prison. Now, the reason I think some people know about this case is because there are rumors that said Thomas Cream's last words were, quote, I am Jack the, end quote. Which, if you know anything about Jack's in true crime, Jack the Ripper, basically. At the time, the Jack the Ripper murders were around the same time as these poisonings slash murders. Um, I don't really know why he said it. It was probably to just be annoying and to try to stay relevant. Authorities, historians, and everyone said that there was no way that Thomas Cream was Jack the Ripper or ever considered a suspect. From 1881 to 1891, Thomas was in the Joliet prison in America, so there was no way that that was possible. A ripologist, yeah, a ripologist, said that Thomas Cream bribed the prison officials to let him out, and another person said that Thomas Cream had a double lookalike. So while Thomas was in Joliet Prison, he was also committing the Whitechapel murders, which is the Jack the Ripper murders. Hey, I don't 
I don't I don't believe that part at all, but hey, you can do whatever you want with that. Historians have said that Thomas Cream's handwriting matches the writing on the two Jack the Ripper letters. A book written about Thomas Cream said that he was frightened that he was being hanged. So he said, quote, I am ejaculating, end quote, which does sound like I am Jack. Like if you try it, it does sound familiar. But I mean, do what you want with that information. Personally, I don't believe that part. I don't know. Because I would think a normal human being, like, why are you talking about ejaculation? That would never be someone's last words. I don't, but now that I'm thinking about it, there are some really sick people out there that death is like what gets them off. I don't, maybe he was one of those people. Be my guess. I don't know. There's only so much that I can comprehend. But I wanted to cover this story because I haven't done one in another country. And that's something I'm trying to do is broaden my horizon on true crime cases in different parts of the world. Because I have never covered a killer doctor case. And I find these stories really interesting and shocking because these are people you're supposed to trust. Yet, people just... Then again, no one ever said because you're a doctor, you're the sweetest person on earth. No one ever said if you are a teacher, you're the sweetest person on earth. Or if you are a human, that you're the sweetest person on earth. So, it doesn't surprise me, but it does surprise me. And that is the end of today's story. I would love to know what you guys think. Thank you so much for listening. Please stay tuned for next week's episode that comes out every Thursday. You can follow my Instagram at criminalcuriositypod where you can see the pictures of the case. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms such as Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. If you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review and rating because it helps me out so much. Spotify now has ratings, so all you have to do is type in Criminal Curiosity and you will see a little star to leave a rating. It will be very helpful and much appreciated. You can also request any cases that you have through Instagram or Gmail, which I will have in the description box. And please be safe out there. Look out for one another. Until next time, bye everyone.